I don't know. Are you, are you seated comfortably, yes. Aaron? Okay, I am. Okay. I'm ready. Let's do this. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 67 of the More Than Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by my co-host in Whitby, Ontario, Aaron Vay. Hello there. And coming back to us once again is Jaime Lopez in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? And uh, we also have Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California. Hey, everyone. You want to talk about Gus Mueller's column? The hype is real. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, wanna, I wonder if that's making you cry inside because you think the pencil by fifty three is the the acme of well, I mean, style you know, I. given given that. Well, it's funny. It's funny that that you say that because I, I at one point in my career I did have a press credential and that was through MacWorld. I used to be able to go to MacWorld and things like that and go in keynotes and as a as a journalist, right? I did that. Yep. Yeah, and and I, you know I kind of wonder. I, I do get still on the list of people who who get. Um, I get you know press releases from a couple of people that were related to that group of, of um, promoters you know who have products to shell out and and you know I could get copies of headphones or you know whatever for review purposes right and I do get review copies of books every now and then like on iOS and things like that and and I often wonder like so what does it take to become known as a journalist in Apple's eyes you know because I would love to be able to try out the pencil clearly many people have them I know the people over at iMore has them Serenity Caldwell has one you know, and obviously, clearly, Gus, Gus Mueller has one as well. Um, well, they're they're on for sale now. You can actually go into the store in a lot of places. Can and I? Buy yeah, one. no, yeah. I was gonna. I was wondering. I haven't been down. Haven't been out of the house yet. But uh, I was I was kind of wondering if uh, if the Eaton Center has them. If I wanted to drop by and pick one up, right? I know that last time I looked, it was four to five weeks if you ordered them online. So yeah, they are showing up in stores from time to time. In Canada, I don't know. I don't know about. Yeah, that. I, I heard can't in Canada is going to be a while, apparently. But maybe. Um, but the fact of the matter is, like Gus Mueller is not a press credential. I mean, there's he, only he so many. Them. There's only so many phoenix feathers they can get to put inside them, right? So, <laughs> Ollivander's shop of, exactly. of Apple pencils, magic pencils. Yes, the pencil chooses you. <laughs> They're made of exactly. unicorn horns. Yeah. Well, mm, clearly, you have some of them Harry are. Potter. <laughs> yeah. yeah Oh, um, Mark, come so, on. So, um, um, I won't tell the people. I think the nerds out there know what I'm talking about. Anyway, the um, what I was going to say was uh, the whole thing about, like, I'm still totally, and I'm actually thinking of writing a blog post myself on, on why I think now is the right time for the iPad Pro to come out, because, and I can go into that if you want, but... Totally. Um, yeah, well, I mean, we can talk about. So here, here's my, and, and it's very, very loosely. It's sort of a, you know, the primordial ooze of an early blog post. But essentially, you know, I was thinking about it over the last couple of days. That you know, when the, I, I mean, I've had the iPads all along. I had the very first iPad. You know, you, I know Aaron. You also drove down to Buffalo to get one before we were allowed to have them in Canada. On iPadder day. On iPadder day, yeah. And then um, having, you know, having that device, you know, if you remember, it didn't have a camera. It was like a quarter of an inch thick. You know, I think it had 128 meg gigabytes of RAM, megabytes of RAM, megabytes. wasn't it? I, yeah, it something. So, you know, ironically, the iPad 128, if you want to call it that, right? Ah. Um, <laughs> and you know, and then over time, you know, it kind of grew. The next next ver- version had a camera, so now we can start taking pictures. And I mean, the iPad camera has never been good. Don't get me wrong. I would never use the iPad for even the, even the iPad Pro. I, I I don't know if I've taken any pictures with it yet, but I don't. I wouldn't go there. 
Um, I don't know. I honestly don't know what's involved in there, but but and part of what we're going to talk about in a little while is hopefully is uh, I found a couple of articles on supporting the pencil uh, in your work and found out that you know the iPad Pro, like the iPad Air two, has 120 hertz refresh rate the ipad pro kicks that up but doubling that as well to a two, uh, 240 hertz touch scan rate which gives you a finer detail on curves so obviously it's it's now moving into you know when we think about the difference between a macbook air and a macbook pro clearly it's supposed to have you know better processors better cpus and gpus and all that kind of stuff and better screen resolutions to give it that sort of pro moniker to be able to use be used in in uh, daily use and i think that you know so does so part of what my my blog post i was thinking about was um why is it called pro and it, and is it ready for daily use i mean that's sort of what aaron's been asking me the last couple of weeks on the show and and i think it is i i've been using it almost every day uh not quite full time yet, but for a lot of th- I've downloaded a ton of apps that are specifically for the iPad Pro, and you know there, it is where iOS is today compared to where it was when the iPad first came out. You know, so many things affect it. You know, the ability to have uh, handoff and continuity. Um, you know, things like higher resolution, better scan rates, the ability to use touch on an iPad device, whether it's the pencil from fifty three or this quote unquote. Apple Pencil, you know, this <laughs> mythical Apple Pencil. Um, it seems to me that that you know from a, it, I think it does deserve the the moniker of of pro of professional because it does it does strike me from a size point of view. Um, I mean, it's not everybody's device like, in the same way that a you know MacBook 15 inch Pro is not or 15 Pro Retina whatever the hell it's called these days um, is not for everybody. You know, I think it it does definitely definitely is sort of I think. It could only have come out now in terms of where we are in terms of the OS, in terms of how the OS interacts with that Mac OS 10. Sorry, Mac OS. Yeah, it is 10. It is Jesus. 10. You're I right. It, I said it right yep. that time. You oh actually my God. did. Pat on the back, Tim. Pat on the I back. Know, eh? So where, where we are with OS 10, where... Um, where the technology is caught up, where the software is. I mean, like, you know, when the iPad came out, you know, in 2010 or even 2011, the software wasn't really there yet, you know, in terms of what people were doing on iPad. And, and we've also talked about whether or not somebody could specifically make software for the Pro. Does it pay to do that? And and now we're starting to see a lot of applications where, yes, it does. I've, I just downloaded a bunch of Adobe apps in the last couple of days, and I'm surprised to find that they support the... Um, the pencil. Yesterday, I was playing around with AstroPad, which we talked about last week, um, to try and see what whether I could, you know, use the iPad as a uh, like a Cintiq and draw in Photoshop on my Mac, and that was a great experience. I tried a bunch of other VNC clients, and they weren't quite there. And then surprised to find that the AstroPad also supports the Apple Pencil and a bunch of other styluses, as well as the Pencil by 53. So again, now I've got this technology, this smart stylus, if you will, that I can now use in, in all these apps as well, which is kind of kind of cool. So so from that point of view, the only thing, like in my criticism of AstroPad, if it had a keyboard, then I could, you know, totally, you know, open up. I did try opening up Xcode and working on it, but of course there's no keyboard, so you can't do that, right? Mm, Which I suppose is where you get the keyboard cover or you get like, you know, a Bluetooth keyboard and and uh, away you go, right? So so you don't have a keyboard solution for your iPad? I'm not using one now. I, no. I, I do actually have a Bluetooth keyboard here. I'm oh, yeah, just, I'm sure you I must have, have a, a, have a couple of, Yeah, I've got a couple of them. I've got, well, I've got the, you know, the one that goes with your Mac and I've also got a smaller one that went with my, iP- my iPad Mini which I could use, like a little Logitech blue, uh, one for sure. Right. 
Um, but I have need I have needed one. The keyboard itself, um, because you know when you when you open up the keyboard, it's as wide as the keyboard on a on a MacBook Air. So you know you get almost it's almost it's like ninety five percent as similar experience in ter- terms of keys and stuff like that. I wish there's a emoji key in the lower left hand corner that I wish I could just erase. But other than that, um, yeah, it's you know I've gotten used to typing on it and and uh, that kind of stuff. I just have it would be cool if I could you know I, maybe I can get the AstroPad going and maybe a keyboard and because you know code completion is the big thing for me with xcode right so oh, yeah Huge. that's missing another in other yes you can code in other apps but you have to be you know you have to have like a super duper mo- uh, memory to remember everything that you need to type right hmm. anyway um yeah, yeah. so it so. seems to me that uh you know like you're using it a lot for artistic endeavor you know much more than Typical productivity stuff. No, like, this I'm is the story using, I'm hearing I'm, a lot. I'm, no, I'm using it for coding and, and stuff like that. I, I use it as it's basically it's replacing my MacBook Air. I mean, like you know, whether I'm I'm not just I'm also using it for textual purposes. And you know, what do you mean uh, you're using it for coding? I'm for writing and coding and websites and you know, what are you doing with scripting that? and stuff like that. I, using I, like Coda? I uh, no, I just use whatever tool I can. And <laughs> well, what tools are you using? Well, I've been using a lot of VNC clients, right? To, to so you're to you're shelling into a Mac, basically. And, yeah, into a Mac and but I'm also I'm also writing I'm also do like I do work on it I use it for my Slack client I use it for my email I use it for web that kind of stuff so I'm just trying I'm trying to stretch the push the envelope as much as I can to to get to the point where I could just sit in front of the iPad all day and use it right so literally it, it hasn't really left my side in the last two weeks so it feels to me like the iPad Pro is you know something I'm very fascinated by, but I yeah. just don't know that I'm ever going to own one. But mm-hmm. the thing I keep hearing over and over as I keep reading about it is is sort of two things. One is um, the operating system itself needs to be more iPad friendly. Like mm-hmm. you know, even though the Apple's made great strides over the years with iPad um, as an OS, they need to do way more, like way yeah. more. Um, and the other thing is the uh, third party software that you know just needs to be more pro quality itself mm-hmm. and then of course here we go back into the app store <laughs> all the problems that are there right that yeah. uh to make big compelling software you need an actual business plan and um you know apple's preventing us from doing that because of their their situation with the app store but um there are going to be brave souls who are going to jump in here and i'm i'm happy to say that i'm going to be one of them <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm a ways off yet, friends. But I think there's going to be a lot of more really great software that is made with the iPad Pro in mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and developers are going to rush into the space, I think, and provide you a very compelling reason to never pick up a MacBook again. And I think that's what Tim Cook had in mind, too, when he said, why would anyone buy a Mac? <laughs> or he actually said a PC, you know? Um, <laughs> why would anyone buy a PC? Like, really, why would anyone do that? Because he's thinking from his own perspective as someone who's a an iPad Pro user only, he doesn't even carry a Mac around anymore from what I understand, hmm. that um, the iPad Pro provides everything he needs. Maybe he doesn't need too much, right? But as the third-party developers step in, uh, they will provide the things that everyone needs. And the, the instant use cases, the things that make it so compelling for you, Tim, yeah. all these art- artistic applications where you're using that pencil or, you know, your, your 53 pencil. As... Well, even, your, even your finger, you know. Sure, yeah. yeah. But, you know, like with this very large canvas, it is very easy to regard it as a, an artistic tool. Yeah. Whereas the story has not yet been told for 
typical productivity software. Well, let me interject here because I, I literally just discovered this like maybe within the last couple of hours. But uh, I was I was poking around with uh, I went to the I stumbled across the you know the the best apps for for uh, iPad Pro, right? And I went and looked at some of them. And some of them were the Adobe titles that I hadn't tried out. And I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was looking for a tool to do wireframing on on the iPad. And I was using some of the, you know, like the pencil from or the paper from 53 and a few other apps like graphic and stuff like that to do that but today i discovered an app called adobe comp and the reason why i'm talking about this is that that one thing that adobe's done that's really really cool is i don't have a creative account a, a creative cloud account so i'm not i have an apple ID or sorry i have an adobe id i am dialed into their network or whatever but with adobe comp it's designed for wireframing for ios or, or for mobile or for um for web right but you and you literally with your finger you draw a rough square with an x through it and that becomes a picture box right and then you can load into that a picture from from your your photo library on your on your phone or your device your ipad right and when you're ready to work with that and you want to do some photoshopy kind of stuff on it you can click on that image and click a little cloud button and it'll say open this image in photoshop mix and it literally will open up the other ios app called photoshop mix and pass that image into it how dare they well my point is that's like we haven't seen much of that yet on on iOS, right? We haven't seen a lot of it's seamless. I mean, like like within while you were talking, I did that here on just just sort of feel it out, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's like that's you know the, the ability to basically you know save an image in Photoshop, go over to some other program and 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 use it right away without you know that's one of the things that's been missing from our sort of sandboxed kind of environment that we had up until most recently with with the ability to hand stuff off. And I think that um, didn't Microsoft in their keynote show moving a doc an excel spreadsheet from from excel into word like almost seamlessly as well like you know sort of in the in some sort of background mode they've been showing that for 20 years on various platforms but on ios i mean (laughs) yeah yeah, you know it's (laughs) like you know in ios it's like you had to go and select and do this goofy three finger cult you know copy thing remember we didn't have copy when ios first came out right Mm -hmm. and then you go over to the other app and then paste it in and hope it works you know this is like i'm like two one one click like you know your typical no no brain designer who has no technical chops whatsoever can instantly do this kind of stuff and and it's you know it's it, it is imperceptible for magic you know in terms of how quickly it happens right i just wanted to interject about the fact that there, that it, we are starting to see some improvements in in ios and between some apps that are taking on this sort of professional level of use right and uh for the large names like adobe you know that makes sense you know yeah, it's, they got it's the, they easy got for the them buckets yeah mm-hmm. yeah they're already there right yeah. you know they just they just uh expand the boundaries and make it ipad pro enabled and you're you're good to go but i'm thinking about I'm thinking about the independent third-party developers here. Sure, yeah. You know, um, people like, uh, you know, imagine Sketch, right? The guys mm-hmm. that make Sketch, if they come out with an iPad Pro, even though they they said they're not going to do it. Oh, um, they? Yeah, they said, like, that was one of the first things we heard, you know, and it's it's because of the app stores, because they don't feel like they can make money there. Um, I'm not sure right. that's true. Uh, it would sure be nice if they could try it, but, you know, they're looking at a huge investment to get to the iPad, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a decision that they're making, but... Uh, is someone like that, you know, with a very popular, well-regarded app uh, appearing on the mm-hmm. iPad Pro and doing so in a way that uh, maybe, you know, reconsiders what the touch interface means and how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, because the iPad Pro is the first iOS device to provide that kind of canvas, right? Um, I think people are going to start doing You're that. the man to do it. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You know, I wouldn't be talking about this. I wouldn't be so excited if I didn't already have an idea myself and started working on it. It's there. It's coming. 
Stand by. All right. All right. Well, well, next year. Next year. If if, uh, if next November we're um, still talking about this, then I'm going to cry like a baby. But uh, <laughs> I, I think I've got something. But did you guys see the article I posted there from uh, Medium.com from about the dude who wrote um, dude. PDF Expert? P- oh, the guy right. who did PDF Expert on on iOS, which I I've have and used and, and have. I even I even turned away an iOS gig uh, building uh, document handling system for a company because they could totally do everything already in PDF Expert, um, and I showed them how to do it. Right, so so this is the, the article titled "How to Launch a Mac App and Become Number One Top Paid App Globally." Yeah, I, admittedly, he was already a pretty pretty successful PDF yeah. developer yeah. on iOS, but it's pretty hard for me to get he, excited about. But he ta- but he does talk about the fact that you can it is possible and he's not saying you're going to be the number one app guy on the on the planet but but if you look at what he's talking about the challenge and and you went through this with Magpie I believe um, mm-hmm. about converting you know taking your idea from iOS to at least to the Apple TV and to Mac OS ten right as well because the um, I simul launched on Mac and iOS yeah and so he's he talks about you know uh, competition from other PDF makers including Adobe itself right but he also there's an interesting uh, part in this this um, article about uh, the challenges. What what I mean, they already had an infrastructure um, to support their their technology on the iOS side, and what would it take to go to the Mac App Store? They thought right, and so you know things like, and the challenges for them were like you know whether there are more devices to support on OS 10, uh, more OS versions to support as well. As well as the fact that the Mac core framework is much older than iOS, there's a lot of baggage there, right? So, Whew, is there ever? Yeah. So, I mean, and, and these are the things. These are. The, it's interesting that he he's he's laid out. I mean, in in as much as a marketing person can speak about you know technology, um, what some of the challenges were, right? To get from s- someone who had already developed on iOS over to the Mac store, and then and then sort of countering to what we've been thinking about uh saying that that it is it is possible to actually make money this way and then another challenge for him was was uh, building an infrastructure to be able to sell the app on his own website as well as in the mac app store and then the whole idea of having trials as well mm-hmm. right so which are things we've talked about yeah um i got a, a good laugh out of uh one of his points i read this article uh, earlier this week so i'm mm. kind of familiar with it uh you know and there's a lot of good advice don't get me wrong here it's a, it's a great yeah. It's a great piece and it's very revealing, uh, but it uh, describes how you go about it if you have a professional marketer on staff of your business, I guess, is the mm-hmm. point. Uh, mm-hmm. if, you're, if you're a one-off developer like I am, uh, you mm-hmm. don't have the bandwidth to take on all of these tasks. Um, mm-hmm. But, um, you know, be that as it may, the one point here is item number seven on his uh, marketing checklist, and it's Apple Editorial. I'm just going to yeah. read you this one paragraph to give you a laugh. Sure. Apple, Apple is being very helpful these days, and they want developers to succeed. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <clears throat> this. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> you know, this, Aaron, this, I understand why I'm you're sorry. laughing so hard, but but you really shouldn't. Because no, no, I'm not done reading. Because <laughs> okay, go ahead. All right, go ahead. Because what? Because they want. Because they, they want the right developers, and they do want developers to succeed. They do, yeah. Uh-huh. You're going to meet a bunch of these guys at at, at the tech talk in in Toronto in December, like the next two weeks from now, right? Um, you're going to be able to stand face to face with John Galanti and say, "Okay, look, how do we do this?" and 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 he will help you and he will give you the name of the evangelist that you need to get in touch with for whatever your your issue is, right? So there there is a there is a, there are avenues to talk to Apple about things, you know. But like I said, you, like we said last week, they're a big giant, you know. They're, it's like trying to turn the Titanic left sometimes, you know. It, it's right. really sure. like you you have to be of a certain scale to get their attention. 
Like, that, I think that's yeah. what it comes down to. Like, I know, like there are companies like uh, Agile Bits has regular contact with Apple. Sure, they they have people that they can call. You know, when mm-hmm. they have a question or an issue or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but the small developers uh, are are beneath their notice, I think. And, um, you know, like here's another thing that we were talking about tonight. Um, the worst app, you know, Alan Pike's piece. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, that maybe we'll talk about in a bit. And, uh, you know, he's he's not a nobody, right? right. Um, but he couldn't get anyone's attention about but, but, this problem. But, but you'll notice that he po- he updated the the post. Yes, today. yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, after he published it and it got it took off, right? Then yeah. he got noticed. But by himself, right. no. Yeah. Um, so that's that's luck. Uh, or persistence, maybe maybe shaming Apple in in, in the Twitter verse was was part oh, of for sure. the solution, right? So it's not a business strategy, but yeah, Alex, I, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so good times. Um, <laughs> there's there's good stuff in here, but you have to be of a certain size to take advantage of it. And uh, the thing um, with Riedel is that they've been doing this for a long time, and they've got a lot of uh, goodwill built up. Sure, sure. But my point to to our listeners was that if you're interested in finding out what they did and how they you know how they went about it, they're not going to give you the secret formula, but they're going to tell you the steps that they went through and and uh, and as much as they can, right? So there's a I mean there's a lot of detail in here. Yeah, but definitely have a contact at Apple in uh, editorial. Mm. Huge, huge. Yeah, I posted this article today that I found on Alan Pike talking about some of the weirdness that's been going on with with. Uh, uh, his app, all of a sudden he started getting support calls from, or support emails from users for uh, issues that with his app that, you know, he thought were his app and they sounded reasonable. And when he looked into them, turned out there wasn't even talking about his app. It sounds like some other developer had put his support email address into their um, app. Is that what I'm interpreting correctly? Yeah, it sounded that way. It sounded like they, they just put, they, they, they coded his email address into their yeah. into their uh, reporter problem field and sure that's, that's pretty amazing that that can happen mm-hmm. well you would think that the apple or itunes connect or whoever it is that's approving approving our meta tags or whatever uh are vetting these kind of things right so right so, well it so, sounded to me like it was actually in the app right it sounded like he had a reporter problem field in the app oh you think when you tap no, that's it, exactly what it is yeah oh okay there's a yeah. picture in this in there there's a screenshot in there um, there's a in the menu of the app itself a reporting link which oh, yeah. opens an email to him. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of amazing. I mean, what what is the person gain who's doing that gain from that? It's hard to imagine anything except distracting somebody else. Maybe he's trying to just uh, prevent a competitor from succeeding doing anything. Yeah, it's kind of a. Uh, Kind of a denial of service kind of attack right in the real world. I suppose. Well, I mean, but the thing about this though is it, it, the reason why I, mean, I would think you would put a support in, uh, a, a contact in there would one to genuinely want to help your users and, and oh, two yeah. to avoid negative negative uh, feedback from the user, right? By, right. By right. engaging them and saying, okay, listen, oh, gee, you found a problem. Thank you very much for finding the problem. How can I help you? Here's what I can do to, in the meantime, and we'll get that out update right, out right away. You know, kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. That said, I've still gotten one star reviews in those kind of situations. Sure, but, sure. Yeah. But I've at the same time, I've gotten some great success out of that. I've gotten uh, a person who, for whatever reason, wrote a bad review, yeah. and then and then sent us a, a report, and mm-hmm. we fixed it. And then they come back and 
five stars raving about how great the support is. Yeah. So yeah. So it's a, I, I find it to be a really useful thing to do. I, I just can't imagine any reason why you would send your your reports to someone else. I, that just boggles my mind. No idea, unless maybe it was I don't know, like a third party framework that they were sharing or something, or they went to some tutorial website and and yeah, grabbed without updating the copy, whatever you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds like the yeah. app itself was pretty bad, so it might have been just an accident. Sure. Yeah. Cut yeah. and paste. Yeah. Yeah, I've Crazy. seen I've seen some of the Ray Wonder like tools uh, or sample apps uh, appear on the App Store as published by other people. Ouch. Yeah, well, what are you going to yeah. do? That's what they're they're you know we yeah. we do we do surrender the rights to the you know use the code and and have a happy life, right? So the long story short here is that that um, he did post this. You know, I I certainly saw it on Twitter. I'm sure a number of other people saw it. Um, felt really bad for him, and then to tr- and of course you know trying to think of ways to avoid that happening to me um, and my friends, you know, and then it turns out that. Uh, that the helpful folks at Apple did reach out. He posted a, an update today to say that they had to remove the other app from the store, right? So can't be prepared for everything. For me, uh, I mean, I'm sure it was very distressing for these guys. And if it had happened to me, I'm sure I'd be very, very angry. I did find it kind of amusing. I'll, I'll be honest, I'm straight <laughs> up with that. It's an amusing anecdote. And <laughs> it's, it's comedy when it happens to someone else and it's tragedy when it happens to you, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think it does... So, so somebody right now had made a comment uh, just on this very podcast about Apple being very large, and I, I would posit it's actually quite the opposite. I think the problem is that Apple is not big enough. Right. And I think what I mean by that is the the extent by which they want to have their you know fingers in every pie is great and massive, but right. they appear to be woefully understaffed. Right. All of these problems we we've talked about on the show today and even in the past kind of come down to the fact that they just need to ramp up hiring for heaven's sakes right like their competitors don't have these same mm. kinds of problems because they have three times four times ten times as many people that's an interesting point you know right like the the, the mac app store appears to be a summer interns project like based <laughs> on like how frequently it migrates it seems to be like hey that one intern is really cool comes in does some updates and then leaves for the year right yeah that's a really good point i mean i you know it really does feel like that um Maybe it's not that they're not big enough, but that they don't keep the resources in in their place, right? They mm-hmm. keep moving them around. So when they finish one project, they've moved on to another, and that project languishes for years, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so too with the App Store. Like, they completed the infrastructure, and then the team moved on and got split into a thousand pieces, and no one's really looking at it anymore. Um, yeah, I would love to see some kind of... Uh, commitment to the things that they're actually putting out there in the market. Mm-hmm. This is not one of them. Mac App Store is definitely not one of them. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's I, tough. I know they've, they've tried to keep the bar very high, and it's very difficult to find good quality people and keep them and everything. Um, they do need to do a little bit more, right? Like it's, it, or they need to make their ambitions smaller because it's it's straining things and and ultimately hurts the brand, right? Like it, they've got some grace. Um, from users now but if you want to have that high quality boutique premium aspect you got to be high quality and premium all the way through i think mm-hmm. yeah well i think part of that is you have to do fewer things right isn't that part of what being a boutique means you have very few things that you do very well right um and apple is becoming less and less like that 
you know, they're they're doing more and more things. <laughs> and, uh, well, uh, and that got them into trouble in the 90s, right? In the mid-90s, they were trying mm, to do, mm-hmm. be all things to all people. And, and, yeah. and then Steve Jobs came back and, like, shaved it all off. And now it's, uh, it's uh, starting to metastasize again. And now we have many platforms and uh, many, many fronts to fight the battle on. And they're having a really hard time keeping the resources on the right things. Yeah. You know, but we've been talking about this since we started doing the podcast too, right? Um, and I guess you could say it hasn't gotten any better. Well, I mean, and, you know, I think we talked about this. You mentioned this last week that they seem to be doing some things really well. Like their hardware team seems to be just stellar. For sure. I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, there are issues with delaminating LCD screens and stuff like that and whatever. But, you know, the iPad Pro is a beautiful piece of gear. And so is so are the other iPads, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the watch for all that it's a tiny little contrivance is, is an amazing piece of gear as well, right? So. <laughs> contrivance. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I mean, what do you use your watch for? I check the weather and, and occasionally answer a tweet on it. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I, I actually probably look at my watch, uh, you know, 20, 30 times a day. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't I know. Tell, I tell the time with mine, to be honest with you. Yeah, that's true. But, I, you know, I, I, I've gone days again this week where I didn't even bother putting it on, right? So. Anyway, that's that's not the point. The point is that it's an amazing piece of, piece of gear, right? So. Yeah, the the scale is is getting pretty high for Apple. I mean, if you think about it, they've act, they're now supporting four different operating systems all at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that may be what, part of what Aaron's trying to say is that that uh, maybe they're spreading things too thin in in a lot of ways, right? Right. Yeah. It's also hard to be a boutique when you're the biggest company in the world. That's true. Yeah. No kidding. So I have a question. So uh, last week I we skipped over this one, but I put up an article by Eric Sedin um, about some some new styles of Swift, and I, I actually wanted to talk about this while Greg was here because he also wrote the um, the uh, uh, Swift style guide for RayWonderlick.com, dot com, um, or at least he he was the sort of head editor of it, if you will. Because um, you were asking a couple of months ago, Aaron, about idiomatic Swift, and you know, are we are we getting to the point where, or where, when are we going to get to the point where there are styles of writing for Swift? So, right. did, you, did you guys have a look at this article? I took a peek, but I'm not uh, familiar enough with Swift to really render a whole bunch of um, opinion on it. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I do think it is a really good read because it um, it does get to that aspect of you know what is readable. Let's say, for example, the um, so here's one that's super easy to, to understand, right? The mm-hmm. the rule of conditional binding cascades is about halfway down the article. Sure, yeah, right. It's like instead of on one line, if let x equals x, comma let y equals y, comma let z equals z, blah. Z. Use z. Yes, <laughs> for our Canadian <laughs> folks, let me translate there. Um, use uh, on a singular line, like if a single use of the word let x equal x y equal y z equals z z z equals z um that makes a lot of sense right like that's a a stylistic choice that actually does make it easier to read right the Mm -hmm. intention to say all of these things need to be applicable for this to occur Mm -hmm. and that makes sense so i definitely could understand that one i and i did like that one and I don't think there was a ton of guidance that i remember from cracking open the uh, the official apple docs Right. On that, right? They're explaining how the language is used, you know, sort of syntactically, but not, hey, you know what? You should use um, this kind of brace methodology, or you should uh, separate these things out with a space or not a space. Right, yeah. Yeah, the colon rule, for instance, from Mike Ash. 
there are some cases where you'll you'll find when you get into Swift where where you put your spaces does actually affect the code in terms of how it compiles, right? That is true. Oh my god, there's a rule of bang. Every time you use an exclamation point in Swift, a kitten dies. My god. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good one. I have I have cargo ships full of dead kittens. <laughs> Title. <laughs> That's funny. That's oh, funny. No. I'll, I'll, so I'll put a link in here because I, I know that we use a we use a style guide when we write our tutorials for and and it's on GitHub and people can have a look at it. The the style guides for, and there's one for Objective Objective C as well uh, from the Ray Wonderlake Ray Wonderlake group. So yikes! Oh my goodness! Yeah, this is actually a shorter article than I thought it was. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's it's clearly not comprehensive. I mean, it's. Yeah. Maybe they're adding to it as well. Erica is a, she she writes a lot of stuff on Swift and well, I mean a lot of stuff on on iOS development. She's been doing it for years and um, she has a lot of a lot of interesting posts as well. And I've met her. I can tell she, I can tell you she's a woman. <laughs> it is known. She's not anonymous. <laughs> exactly. So there is an opportunity here, though, right, for folks um, because it is an area that's still growing and still changing as as long as swift itself continues to change in its uh rapid pace yeah uh, notably slowed down thankfully in the last uh, few months or so uh, six months let's say but um you know th- there's a there's a book on my bookshelf i don't have it in front of me so i can't i'm gonna have to look up the name of the, the author but it's effective objective c 2.0 mm-hmm. right and it's what 150 pages maybe 200 pages and it does a really good job of distilling all the kinds of things you would need for um, how should you declare a protocol, for example, right? When should you prefer this over that? And I think that sort of thing is necessary for for Swift. Uh, it's not quite there yet, but hey, if somebody wants to go write a book, by all means, there's an opportunity there. But people will gladly pay you thirty to forty bucks for that. Cool. It's by my friend Matt Galloway. Oh yes. Yes, not to be confused with the morning host on CBC Radio 2, Radio 1 in Toronto. Yeah, who is also awesome. Yes. Yeah, I, I think the book that uh, that is titled Idiomatic Swift by, insert well-known author name here, would sell a ton of copies. <laughs> Good, I'll, t- I'll let Matt know. <laughs> yes, do. <laughs> I'm just making a note here, Idiomatic Swift. Okay, 2.0 or 1.0? 2.0, I guess, yeah. It would be Swift 2, yeah, mm-hmm. which fortunately has not changed much, just like mm-hmm. Jaime said. The less it changes right now, the better, because, you know, I'm full-time on Swift right now. Cool. Yeah. Are you? Good for you. Oh, yeah, since, um, well, let me think. Well, I, I started a new job for a client last week, and mm-hmm. uh, that's a Swift job, and that's been my primary work. And mm-hmm. um, the the app that I'm starting for myself is also Swift, and the only thing I'm doing in Objective-C is with Magpie, right? So I go back and I edit that app, yeah. and it's Objective-C. And I, I'm surprised to tell you this uh, it feels kind of gross <laughs> it's weird i gotta put ampersands in front of quotes what's up with that <laughs> yeah i know i always forget i always forget that one too when i go back because i go back and forth all the time too right so yeah and semicolons what's with the semicolons semicolons who even yeah. does that anymore i know i know can't the compiler tell i know tell I, was, you, I, uh... I, was actually, I was actually doing a, doing something today and i was again in the refactoring and so and I, and I finally got like i went to run the app and, it, and i got this error saying something like uh oh i'm trying to trying to call a popover view controller which is owned by ui view controller right or declared in ui view controller i'm like looking at this code going what like what's wrong with 
that? Like, and then it, I forgot I had to do a forward. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, forward declaration with yeah, your uh, at class. To, I had to do a forward declaration in, in, in the app delegate to, to make it work. And it's like, who who thinks of that stuff anymore? That's the beauty of Swift. Is it, is it you know you can do that kind of stuff, and it just kind of all figures it out for you. Yeah, it knows where everything. Some is would argue anymore. that that makes developers lazy. Yeah, no, you know, and that is a pitfall. I, I do I do agree that I think that if I had come at um, Swift personally if i had come from where i was coming from to swift uh, out of the box and not having to go down the objective c route i probably would still be scratching my head over a lot of stuff and not understanding why it does what it does you know whereas you know having gone through objective c never mind i don't know i don't know about that because there are it is peculiar that that feature of swift that um any app uh sorry any uh swift file in your project is mm-hmm. is all linked together right so mm-hmm. you can access methods uh, assuming they're they're public, right? Yes. But yeah, uh, yeah. you can you can access any method in any file from anywhere, <laughs> right? And that's just not something you could do in Objective C. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And so the pattern doesn't feel very natural when when we do it. Like I just took advantage of, of a feature of that today. Uh, I thought, okay, well, you know, I've got this uh, this meth- oh, function. <clears throat> I have a function in a uh, in a Swift file, uh, a mm-hmm. class that uh, I'm going to call from this view controller and. I was not expecting it to work because uh, oh. I, ha- I hadn't imported it, um, and it was it's sort of a utility function just in this other, uh, it was in a view. Now, don't get me started. That's not the way you're supposed to do it, but uh, it made sense in this context. So I cool. called this function, and um, and it just worked. And I was like, oh, wait, yeah, it's Swift. That, that mm-hmm. would work. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas in Objective-C, uh, you know, that would not have made the same kind of sense. So uh, somebody coming to this from for the first time, you know, like a, a, a new Swift developer, a new iOS developer in Swift, um, would would probably just take that for granted. You know, like if, if I wrote a function somewhere, I can pretty much access it anywhere. Um, and yeah, that and might like said, be... It. And like you said, less is private or, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, that might not be or a good final. thing, just like Mark said. Yeah. You know, it might be a bad thing because uh, the old way encouraged better code organization, right? Right. Well, even in Objective-C, you know, you can actually write functions that are available anywhere. Yeah. Uh, C functions. They just have to be outside of Objective-C objects. Yeah, I was going to say, too, like, I believe that when a function in Swift that's inside a class is still referred to as a method, isn't it? Good question. Ooh. Yeah. Made you think. <laughs> I believe it is. But anyway, but you're right. To- totally, Mark. When we teach iOS specifically, right, or when we teach Objective-C specifically, we start off teaching people how to write functions in main and then basically learn, teach them how to build a class and put them in and then change them miraculously by nomenclature to methods, right? So Right, right. But, you know, like the, the main function that exists in every Objective-C app is, in fact, a function inside main, you know? Yeah, like a C function, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that was then, man. That's old news. <laughs> that was this afternoon. I don't know. Uh, you know it's <laughs> ancient history. I just rewrote one of my main functions to use storyboards. Seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not clear that this is a good thing. I mean, the encapsulation yeah. is a very useful, important thing in many cases, maybe most cases. Yeah. Uh, especially for things like reusable code. And, and uh, just having functions all over the place... Like anything else, you know, if you do it right, it'll be fine. If you do yeah. it poorly, it'll it'll be a disaster at some point. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So let's talk about value types and reference types, shall we? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. See, this is supposed to be about more than just code, Tim. I know, but that was a joke, actually. I know, I got your joke. <laughs> uh, what else is left to talk about here? Oh, perfect. Hi, me. 
Perfect timing. Take your finger yes, off that. Perf- perf- perfect timing. Uh, so as long as we're talking about Swift, I just ran across this. Um, it's a GitHub project. It's uh, an open source application server written in Swift. Right? Oh, so this is going to be my pick. You talked oh. about uh, server-side <laughs> Swift, right? That, you know, using the same language on the client and the back end is the hot, sexy thing nowadays. If you look at folks using like uh, JavaScript, right? Um, historically in the browser, now uh, Node.js and many other items are making that very popular on the back end. Of course, it's fresh and new, so it's it's not exactly the same as, uh, let's say, like Python or Ruby, right? With uh-huh. the Ruby on Rails and Django uh, frameworks. Um, but it's a start. And I think it's the sort of thing that would not necessarily have happened if Swift wasn't going to be open source. So right. I'm pretty excited about this because you know, more th- opportunity to find new and interesting tools, great. I don't know if I'll ever end up using this, but I'm not dismissing it either. Well, they do talk, they talk about using uh, Linux in their post, but it, they're not able to run it on Linux yet because there's no compiler for Linux yet. Linux, Linux. That's correct. That's what's going to happen when Apple open sources it. Right. So they're uh, they're they, getting they're, they're getting ready with this so that it'll be able to port over to their theoretically when they're ready, right? So I mean, I think it's cool. I, I, I the day I discovered you could run Swift on the command line, I thought I was a died and gone to heaven. You know, so <laughs> haven't done it since, but still. I mean, it could be kind of nice for just running things locally, right? So there's many times where you might want yeah. to run a you know a little stub server because you're mm-hmm. uh, interacting with um, a backend team and they may not have had time to do their piece, right? But you right. still need something to, to poke at. And so running this server locally and without you necessarily having to know something like Python or Ruby, you can get something going. So this yeah. has a whole bunch of cool things written on the box, right? It connects mm. with ModPerfect. MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB. So we're checking a lot of boxes there. Yeah, for sure. Well, and, cool. and, I mean, Aaron raised the point about switching between Swift and, and Objective-C. I mean, I write the APIs for our, some of our apps, too. So I'm constantly switching from not only one language to another, but also one environment into another, right? So often I'm finding myself going, okay, wait a minute, what is this saying here? Lots of fun. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited about this, too. I think for just building APIs that have good type consistency between yeah. the client and the servers, this is going to be really helpful for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The docu- I'm, I'm just kind of going through the documentation. I haven't had a chance to play with it yet. Um, you know, some really interesting things going on here. They've yeah, got I, I, JSON stuff, you know, which is awesome. Because uh, mm-hmm. JSON is a pain in the ass in Swift, and if they've got mm. if they've got SDKs in, in this thing for it, then wonderful. They've got uh, mustache parsers. Um, mustache is a templating language for HTML, so you can actually do like a full-on web application, presumably with this. Looking at just looking at the classes that they have here, SQLite plugins, uh, so probably native SQLite support, along with plugins for MySQL and Mongo, like like Jaime just said. Uh, session manager. I don't see any authentication system in here though. So uh, take Rails for example, Ruby on Rails, which has fairly uh, robust third-party support for a lot of different features that you would have in a web application. Among them, authentication. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see anything like that in here, which is too bad, because it would be nice to just have that taken care of. Um, you know, that's that's a pull request away from happening. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> massive I can, pull request. Yeah, boom, done. <laughs> it's it's interesting too because uh, when this came out, like I don't know who the people are behind this project. Um, it, it definitely appears to be an open source project, but it clearly has some kind of commercial component to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the company is called Perfectly Soft Inc. and they are 
here, let me just go to the contact page. They don't have any real contact information, so they're not really talking about who they are themselves. At some point, though, when, you know, uh, the open source Swift arrives, there will almost certainly be a change to this. Oh, my God, they're in Toronto. Here we are. Because no. they got a 416 phone number. What? What? Toronto. What? You run into get these doomed, then. So it is, it is the after, is that after all. <laughs> Sean Stevens is the CEO. Don't know who that is. And Emma J. Logue is the media contact. Mm-hmm. And she, at the very least, appears to be in Toronto. Peculiar. But, you know, here's the thing. I think there's going to be more than just this one, right? Because... One thing that, if you go to perfect.org, where this thing's located, the one thing you don't see, um, at least, you know, right in your face, uh, are code samples. You know, like, how does this thing work? You've got to kind of dig for it. In here? Um, yeah, on their website, perfect.org. I'm not talking about the GitHub project. Oh, okay. You know, um, you can go to the GitHub project and, you know, yeah, download are, the whole frame, there, framework, There are right? examples in there. There's well. a button that says download examples. What, in the GitHub side? No, on the website. But I mean, like, right in your face. You know, like, <laughs> you, you know, like too much. Go to, exactly. go to Ruby's website and, and the first thing you see is no. an example of some, some of the code. Try it on GitHub. Where I'm actually on the download examples, the very so, bottom, so, talk to the bottom. Okay. And this you, is a GitHub. Yeah. So I would say if you do run into these folks in Taco, a bit of uh, feedback for them is that the button gets lost in the overwhelming bright orange scheme that they have. It's a yep. little... Uh, semi-transparent ghost white button. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little different color for that. Or, you know, have it more in your face. I'd actually like to see Swift code on the top hero image of this site. I, You know, like, I get one language to rule them all, but what, what are the capabilities of it? Like, this this is basically a a web application framework, right? So what can it do? The, the only thing I really can tell is that it is written in Swift. Mm-hmm. But that's the whole point of it right now right yeah but there's you're, there's got to be way really more nitpicky. to it i don't think that's nitpicky i think that's that's crucial because mm-hmm. if i if i can't use this to do the things i need to do then i don't I well don't right now the so only point is it's a web framework in swift yeah. and yeah. it doesn't really at today it doesn't really need much more than that if you if right. you want a web framework in swift there you go now maybe if there were four different ones by different people then you need to yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think mm-hmm. they're going to be very soon. Well, maybe they will. Yeah. That was going to be my pick for the, for what it's worth, and uh, so now I have no pick. So to heck with all of you. Well, one last thing, just to, <laughs> just as you guys were thinking about that, I, was, I, I heard I heard something today about Facebook, and I just wanted to go and check it while you were talking there. And it turns out that I found it, and what it is is that the Facebook SDK now supports TVOS, and it's written in Swift. Ah, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Does it only support Swift? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Objective C can't handle their scale. <laughs> Man, that was so fun. Um, so again, if you guys do run into these uh, these folks, I am kind of curious as to what their their game plan is, right? So it's awesome that it's open source, and as to where this is going to go, they do have a get involved. Sure. Um, page that talks about how you can get more involved in the community and hopefully to be just as bright and vibrant as Python's and Ruby's community. Uh, yeah. So I, I think we as individuals and folks out there listening can get a chance to help mold what direction does this go in, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm also kind of curious, like, how do they plan to make money for this, right? Like, is it uh, like WordPress, right? WordPress, you can host it yourself. It's completely great, but they also have a hosted version that uh, darn near everybody uses, and that's great and wonderful, right? Mm -hmm. Or is it going to be a Red Hat-type model? Anybody remembers that? Where 
Software is free, but pay us for support. Or you pay a paper CPU or whatever, like Oracle used yeah. to do. Sure. There are definitely ways to do it, you know, and, and ways that they can do it while keeping it essentially free. Yeah, but can you pay with Apple Pay? That's all I want to know. <laughs> you can. In you got an Amex in, the US, in Canada. <laughs> They're opening it up in China, too. What's up with Canada, you guys? We have, too small. Yeah, Nobody exactly. cares about us. <laughs> Our banks are too rich to care. That's not going to last. Let's go around the table like we usually do and see if anybody has any picks. I'm going to stop it, Aaron, and see if Aaron has a pick. Well, I'm just going to jump into my TARDIS and take you 10 minutes back to when we started talking about Perfect. Okay. <laughs> Alrighty then, so that's a no. Um, that wasn't a... Oh. oh, did you want to talk about Perfect? We did just talk about Perfect. <laughs> Come on, you're killing me. I can't me. tell if he's trolling you so hard. Yeah, I think it's he might great. be. <laughs> that's the problem of having an audio-only media. It's so much more difficult to tell. <laughs> You'll have to explain oh, what Mitra. that means to me. Anyway. Um... <laughs> Okay, Mark? just go go talk to Jaime. Jaime, go talk to Jaime. Jaime, do you have another pick that Aaron can complain about? <laughs> so perfect wasn't my pick. You you actually brought it up in the context of the normal. No, I did. Yeah, show. it was my, you know it was in it was in the notes, and I felt it was perfect time to talk about it. So right, no, no great, rubbing it, so, rubbing the salt in the wound. <laughs> so my pick of the week is a um, small little app called Beamer for the Mac, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and. Um, the idea is it allows you to stream directly from your Mac to, for me, primarily the Chromecast. They mention Apple TV on here, but if you've got a Mac and an Apple TV, I would just AirPlay. Yeah. Right? Yes. Um, but there's no equivalent thing that makes it easy to do video sharing onto the Chromecast. Uh, this is something I've struggled with before, and I've tried all sorts of different solutions, mm-hmm. and they're, they're all terrible, right? You could use, you know, Chrome has an extension for Chromecast that, you know, will let you do more than just the tab sharing from the browser. It'll also let you share your desktop, but that's, it's not very effective and it doesn't pipe the audio through your TV. So you're Uh, listening to very tinny audio coming from your, your Macs, in my case, a laptop. This, however, is great. You just drag and drop a whole bunch of files and they support a huge number of popular formats like MP4, AVI, WMV, uh, Windows Media Player stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're a getting things from the Windows side. And it works really well. And so if you have, like, you know, home videos or if you have, let's say, you don't have an Apple TV and you have a Chromecast and you've yeah. downloaded the WWDC videos, this streams so really nicely. It plums the audio right through. That's great. And it's free to try. I think you get up to, like, 15 minutes of, of video play. Try it out and see. Huh. And store-wise, it's relatively inexpensive. It's... So can I ask a question? Twenty bucks. What, what do you do with what do you do with Chromecast? What is it? What's it? What's the purpose of it? Is it like an Apple TV kind of thing? That. Or so that's a good good question. So the Chromecast for me is primarily a video playing mechanism. So uh, YouTube videos um, from the YouTube app, right? Yeah. Maybe. So I'm primarily using my iPhone or my iPad to queue up videos. So I have a whole bunch of folks that I follow on YouTube, I'll watch their videos sometimes, you know, while I'm eating lunch or just kind of have them in the background as sort of noise, um, like music videos, let's say. But it also has access to anything that, that will have access to the, I forget what they call their protocol, the, the Chromecast streaming protocol. Mm-hmm. So you can have apps that support it as well. Like, uh, as I mentioned, YouTube, of course, coming from Google. Um, there's a lot of good Vimeo videos that I watch, so I will use their app to, to plumb things through. But mm. there wasn't really anything that was good for, hey, I've got a video file 
on my Mac, how do I stream that thing to the Chromecast? Because it's it's super efficient. Uh, I don't know if folks have ever been in an environment, let's say like an office environment, where the Wi-Fi may not be quite so great. Right, yeah. The Apple TVs, uh, not the new generation because I haven't tried them, but the prior generation of Apple TVs were just like bandwidth hogs, I guess. They just could not handle that sort of limited environment. But the Chromecast is fantastic. Like It just keeps plumbing away like a soldier, so it's awesome. Mm. And it's like 30 bucks or maybe even less now. Wow. Yeah, it's super cheap. doesn't do much, right? It, it's not as extensive as the old Apple TV and certainly not even close to the tvOS Apple TV. Yeah, but for yeah. thirty bucks, you can put these suckers like in your basement, right, or in your garage, hooked up to a little TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Interesting. I think we have those in Canada too, don't we, Aaron? TVs? Yeah. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Chromecast. <laughs> My brother-in-law has one. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Um, <laughs> so he got real quiet there for a minute. I wasn't sure what was going on. No. Oh. Uh. Yeah, what is going on? Hang on. Well, you're about to ask Mark. You're going to stop it, Mark. Oh, yeah. Hey, Mark, you've got a pick or technology? Yeah, it's a Swift framework called, web framework called Perfect. Oh, oh really? Dirty oh, dog. Yeah. Cool. Have you heard of it? No, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you could have you just run with that one. That was yeah. funny. So uh, what are you making for Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow? Turkey. Turkey. Oh, okay. Are you, are you making turkey? Are you going to some friend's nah, place? Or yeah. going to watch the football those. games and stuff like that? Of course. America. America. Yeah, all three of them. I love the fact that NFL Network has a night game as well. It's awesome. Yeah. Really? Three football games in one day? Yeah. Yeah. So how many do you think the Cowboys can can beat the Panthers? Maybe. I mean, if you project from with Tony Romo and without Tony Romo, they're an undefeated team with him and an 0-16 team without him. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sports turkey. It's in in Dallas. So, yeah. 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 Good chance. Yeah. Dying. Well, it's going to be interesting because by the time this comes out, we'll find out if they were right or wrong. That's true. Yeah, that's true. You guys are on the record <laughs> with your well, sports my... turkeys. <laughs> oh, you got a pick. Sorry, Tim. Was it turkey? Because you know my pick could be turkey. It could be the Great Cup on Sunday too. You know, which I which I know nothing about. Um, There's going to be football played. Yeah, apparently. So my pick is actually um, I go way back in time to Laura Croft. Uh, playing on Tomb Raider, I think since like the I don't know whenever Tomb Raider came out. I think I think it started with Tomb Raider two. So any any Tomb Raider version of the games I play, um, I've played them all the way up. I haven't played the I haven't finished the last game yet, the one that's uh, on uh, still on PlayStation because I think the next one is not coming up. But these are from our friends at, at Square Enix. I think it's a Montreal company, if I'm not mistaken. Our friends. Our well, yeah, our, our friends because Jaime talks about them all the time. Um, we're buddies. We go way back. Yeah, this is a game called Laura Croft Go, and it's basically a take. It's just another Laura Croft type vehicle, but it's an interesting little puzzler. Um, I think the thing about the thing about playing uh, Tomb Raider is always about sort of figuring out the puzzles and. Um, you know, you have to sort of, it's kind of akin to Indiana Jones and the way he tries to steal the gold line, golden line at the very beginning. And then all hell breaks loose and he has to run away, you know, as the tomb falls apart behind him sort of thing. And that's, and then there's Belloc and he's taking it away from him. Yeah. That, that, I mean, that kind of stuff happens in, in this again, franchise too, Jones. but, um, but yeah, so this is, this is another game built with, um, something, this is built with unity and it's got sort of 3d look and feel similar to how we talked about with, uh, monument Valley and, uh, road thing with the chicken and the crossy, the crossy. and yeah, uh, we know the game you're talking that about. one. Yeah. Um, the frog will rip off, but, um, 
yeah so anyway so it's it's laura croft go i've i finally finished it i've been playing it for a couple of weeks so it's a good little time waster if you're looking for something to do and you're into that kind of thing and you know if you miss there's a bunch of extra prizes you're supposed to get um ironically i I have to laugh about this because their in-app purchase model is that if you get stuck on a level you can pay them to give you hints and the reason why I laugh is because anybody who knows anything about Laura Croft knows that every single Laura Croft game, no matter what platform it's on, there's a walkthrough online. So within like the first time I got stuck, I went, oh, you can pay for this. And I went, no, well, let's switch over to Safari and just check it out. And sure enough, within seconds of, of uh, entering the, the name of the app and in uh, the Google machine, I had uh, a walkthrough of the, that got me through the part I was stuck on. So anyway, it's a good little time waster if you're into, into that kind of thing. My daughter does that too. She cheats frivolously on games like that. Yeah, well, you know, there's there's cheating and there's not cheating. I mean, like when when things just don't make sense, sometimes it's nice to be able to go and and uh, you know, rather than smash your iPad against the table. <laughs> you know, so maybe you should buy one of those because I'm kind of curious what kind of hints it gives you. Are they really <laughs> legit good ones or are they you know, run away from tigers? Exactly. Jump go. and don't fall off the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Exactly. Um, and, and am I correct in thinking... So I've not played this... Surprise, mm-hmm. surprise. I, I have not played this game uh, myself. It's not an it, 80s retro game. I can't remember obviously. if it was... I, can't, I think it was a couple of bucks. It wasn't free, I don't think, right? So, And um, I think the style looked very similar to Hitman Go. I'm not even sure if it's Oh, you mean, oh, you mean you, like a rebranding kind of thing? I don't know if, it, know if it's a rebranding, but... Just for folks uh, listening at home, um, don't be confused. This is not a port of um, Laura Croft Rise of the Tomb Raider, which is exclusive no. to yeah. the Xbox One. This is actually more of like um, like a puzzle, almost like a tabletop game where things move on a on a turn basis. So mm-hmm. it's not real time running around, jumping, swing, and whatever. It's that's more of like okay, if I make a move here, everything else in the world will move too. Right, like, how do I avoid the tigers? Can I get across the ravine fast enough, sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And cool. throwing the switches and not getting chopped by the snake and avoiding the the spinning circular saws and stuff like that is. Um, I, I mean, to be honest with you, one of the things that always bothered me about Laura Croft is her need to go and shoot uh, shoot animals. You know, they're, sometimes they're trying to kill her, but like you know, for whatever reason, I never understood that in this type of game. But there you go. Um, it's interesting that their their in app purchases are all all puzzle solutions five seventy nine. This is Canadian dollars. It's probably like twenty five cents in American. Four ninety. Four Thank you. And and then the other thing that's interesting is is she can have different outfits, which I find ironic. Um, and says two 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 twenty nine here, so I guess that's two bucks. Dollar um, nine, yeah. Dollar nine, yeah. So you can. Um, you can dress her up in different outfits for whatever reason, but apparently that kind of in-app purchase is popular with some people, which is I find strange. But I'm looking at this here that there are a number of Laura Croft type um, uh, franchises here. There's there's a tips app you can download as well. Somebody's come up with. Uh, there's an, I think these guys Square Enix did another uh, Laura Croft port, and then they've also ported over I believe the first three games to. Yeah, so t- Tomb Raider 1 and 2 have been ported over to iOS, as well as Laura Croft, Guardian of something or other, which I can't read. Um, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, Guardian. it's it's funny that you mentioned the um, being able to purchase other outfits. So it's worth mentioning that um, League of Legends, if you mm-hmm. folks have ever heard of that game, it's a massive online battle arena type game. Mm-hmm. And predominantly known by folks who follow the esports crowd. Um, I'm only tangentially even aware of this myself, uh, even as a gamer. 
but their whole business model is the game is free and you pay for cosmetic things. Oh, you want your guy to wear a sick hat? Great. Give us a dollar and you get got a sick hat, right? And people love the whole customization thing. So it's a radically different take on a monetization model that uh, do you mean oh, like yeah, a hat that isn't feeling very film. well? I don't understand that. Well, you know, it's and it's not so much. Uh, I think it's also somewhat of a cultural thing because I, I believe that in in uh, Asian cultures, things like that, customizing your stuff is is quite popular, right? So it just seems a little odd to do it in a game, in my opinion. But 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 you know, if you're if you're someone who spends a lot of time playing these games and you have a lot of friends who are playing the same game, mm-hmm. and there's this phenomenon of kids sitting around watching other kids play these games. Yes, exactly. Which is yeah. very common. Yep. Then maybe you do want to personalize your character so everyone who's watching it knows that's you playing. I well, and, just- and the same thing is true with, with um, um, like, the what's the, we were just talking about Crossy Road. I think there's a lot of the whole, you know, which character have you got and, you know, are you playing, you know, how do you play with them and stuff like that, right? So. Mm-hmm. And that game, that game I talked about the other day with the racing thing, I think, was it last week when Jaime wasn't here? I talked about a racing game. Yes, you did. Like yeah, European there, racing thing? Yeah, there's a whole, you can get the Hummer, you can get the, you know, the the uh, the tanks, you can get, you know, all kinds of different, you can get like a Formula One car that goes like stink, you know, so, exactly, yeah. So this is, yeah. And, and, I mean, my two grandsons, or my one grandson plays that for sure, and, and he's all about what cars he's got and, you know, that kind of stuff, right, earning them and... And he compares that with his little buddies at school. I guess we used to have hockey cards back in the day, you know? So I'm sure you had hockey cards in Boston as well, right? We had baseball cards. Well, baseball cards. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's a cards. cultural we difference. We have hockey cards, too. Yeah, yeah. What is this baseball these guys speak of, Aaron? Yeah. Silence! Baseball is the one true sport! <laughs> yeah, Mr. Blue Jays over there, who, by the way, yeah, I, I heard something about David Price possibly going to the Red Sox next year. Oh, please don't tell me that's true. That's, I don't think I can handle uh, that's that. That's the rumor. Well, see, I've always maintained that Toronto is the training ground for great, ho- great sports players, great sports ball players. <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. It's, it's the Seattle Mariners would have <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. the best team of all time with nothing but Hall of Famers for people who, you know, came to Seattle to die and yeah. who left Seattle for greatness. Oh, really? Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, see, here in Toronto, they start in Toronto, then they go off and they become world famous in Toronto. You know? So it's just this one particular couple of teams back in the 90s, you know. So. The Oakland A's are, are good for that, too. They generate a lot of young talent, and then they all go off and go off to greatness elsewhere. Hmm. Hmm. Yes. Sports balls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you remember the California Golden Seals? No? I don't know what that is. Was that a uh, early baseball team? No, it was an Oak, Oak, Oakland, California hockey team. Hockey team. Oh. Yeah, the Golden Seals of California. Wow. wow. What happened to them? Did they move somewhere else, or did they? Yeah, I don't know. Just disappear. They, they, yeah. They had an interesting, interesting uh, sweater, but yeah, that's that's about it. Alrighty, folks. So I guess that's it for the week. And so, if Aaron people want to find you on the interwebs, where would they look? Go to the Twitter machine at Aaron Vay. Alrighty, and Jaime, if people want to find you online, tweet at Deva the Hair. And Mark, by email, Mark R at smapsoft.com. And once again, I'm T- Tim Mitra, T I M M I T R A, on the Twitter machine, and you can find me on my website, it guy.com. All right, folks, happy Thanksgiving. Yes, have Thank a good you. one. I'm jealous. You're jelly? I'm totally jelly. I would when love to have You have one, don't you? It yeah, was it's in the past, long yeah. distant history. Mm. Yeah. Oh, it'd be so good. I'd love to have a big turkey dinner. I'm coming you to your can. house, Mark. You can go. go you can go have the festive, You can go to Swiss Chalet and have the festive special. Apparently, it's just not, I, I've done that, you know, and it's just not the same. No. Mm. Nope.
What's chicken to begin with? C. What are we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> All right, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Scene, Bye. folks. Bye. If you want to find out more about the show, you can visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. There, you can find a summary and show notes for each episode. We list links to the items that we talk about on the show, as well as links to the apps on the App Store. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment on the website. And if you can, please write a review on iTunes. If you're listening on Overcast, go ahead and press the recommend button. It really helps others find out about the show. You can also follow us on Twitter. Once again, the podcast Twitter account is at MTJC underscore podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can pledge any amount on patreon.com slash MTJC. Thanks again for listening.